You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Today, we are continuing a sermon series that we began at the beginning of this year. If you're brand new to us or you're tuning in for the very first time online with us today, we're continuing a sermon series called Neighborhood Disciples. Neighborhood Disciples. We thought it timely. We thought it fitting to begin the new year, to begin 2023 with a very honest, genuine conversation about what does it look like to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, in the land of suburbia, right? Uh, the, this, this space that not only we here inhabit in this particular pocket of the world, but over 52% of our country inhabits some sort of suburban context. And so we've been asking the question of what is the benefits of living in a place like this? What are the advantages of living in a place like this? And are we willing, are we courageous, are we brave enough to ask the question of, What also might be the disadvantages of living in a place like this? What are the ways in which uh, this context or contexts like these uh, sort of hinder, obstruct a deeper, richer faith in Jesus? And so we're pretty deep into the series, actually. We only have two weeks left. And so if this is your first time here with us or your first time tuning in, you can find all these sermons, all these messages on our podcast or on our website or on our YouTube channel. But today what we're going to do is we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to continue the conversation, and today what we're going to do is we're going to embark upon a discussion about the thing that scares me the most about living in suburbia. Today we're going to delve into what I believe to be the riskiest part of living in a place like this. And by the way, I have a master list of things, a master list of things that I'm scared of when it comes to living in a place like this. The first of which is that one day I will come out and I will see someone vandalizing my vehicle with one of these. Yeah, they look cute. They look innocent. Another thing I'm really scared of uh, is that one day I'll wake up and instead of asking for something really adventurous and fun for my birthday, I'll start asking for household appliances. This will, be, this will be me, right? <laughs> True story, last year we bought a new coffee maker and I've never been more happy, <laughs> ever. Another risk we run living here is that uh, you'll start to become those people that actively, like in your spare time, research what stores and restaurants are coming into your area. Anybody else uh, do this? I've got someone in my neighborhood who just started working on the planning commission uh, for the town. And so I'm like a drug dealer every time at the bus stop, like, neighbor, what you got for me? What you got? And then finally, probably my biggest fear outside of the fear we're going to address today is that one day I'll wake up and I won't even think about it, but I'll walk out the door in these. (laughs) Now, some of you are laughing at these jokes. Some of you are not laughing at these jokes. You didn't get any of these. And you know why? It's because you're too far gone. (laughs) We've lost you. So if there's someone next to you not laughing, don't save them. Don't grab their hand. They're gone, okay? We're just going to move on. We're going to let them be. But again, what is uh, the riskiest part of living in this place? What is the most dangerous part about living in a context like this as it relates to our faith, as it relates to following Jesus? We're going to find that embedded in our story for today. So 
Let's dive in. If you've got your Bibles or your smart devices and you want to follow along today, today we're going to be camped out again in Luke chapter 10. That's the passage you just heard Craig read a couple moments ago. Here, you're reading and you're hearing a story that if you've spent any time in church, you've heard before, right? Well, many of us are familiar with the story. This is the story of the good Samaritan. And the way the whole story starts is really interesting. There's one of these like super legalistic religious folks, the religious legal expert, as the author indicates, is having this debate with Jesus, having this argument with Jesus, talking about uh, what is the greatest commandment, what is the, big, the biggest thing I ought to sort of centralize all my focus and attention on. Jesus says, well, you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, well, like, who is my neighbor? And so the deeper context of that, the sort of subtext is... Are there people that I'm allowed to not love? Are there people that I don't have to be as concerned about? Jesus sees right through this, and instead of answering the question, he tells a story. And he tells a story about a man who was journeying down a road. He was leaving Jerusalem, and he was headed to Jericho. Here is a little map of what this sort of situation looks like. It's not drawn to scale, but if you look at this, you'll see... Where the robbery takes place is on the road in between these two communities, okay? It happens right in between these two suburban sort of spaces, right? It's on this sort of no man's land. And what happens is he gets robbed, he gets thrown in a ditch, and the people who come upon him are exactly the type of people he would have hoped who would have come upon him, religious people faithful people, people who are supposed to actually care. But what do they do? The story says that they did so intentionally. They saw the man. They saw the predicament that he was in. And when they saw him, they crossed over to the other side of the road and went on their way. Why? Why? We don't know. But I'm sure we can sort of hypothesize a bunch of different reasons. One reason might be they were just busy. They were busy. They had too much stuff going on, right? Right after they had to run to the temple, they had to stop by Costco. They had to pick up the children from ballet class. They had to come home and send some carrier pigeon emails, all so that they could finally make it home and watch The Bachelor. Jesus understands. I want to help. I want to be there. But that carpool line, mm -mm. maybe they're too busy, too preoccupied. Or maybe, maybe, they did not feel like that person was their responsibility. Again, the reason why I put that lovely graphic, put it back up there real quick, one more time, just so you guys can be standing in awe of my graphic expertise is because one of the things I want you to see is how tempting it would have been because of geographically where this occurs, how tempting it would have been for them to say, this person's not my responsibility because they're not my neighbor. They don't live where I live. They don't live in the suburban places where we live. This doesn't happen in my side of town, okay? We take care of ourselves. We manage our affairs. This person... Whoever he is, he probably deserved it, okay? He's probably some lowlife who was just out here up to no good, doing something, involved in some suspicious activity, and this is what happened to him. And so I don't owe him nothing. 
and they went on their way. This is the scariest part for me about living in a context like this. The scariest part, the riskiest part, I believe, of being a follower of Jesus in contexts like the ones we and much of America inhabits is what I like to call spiritual insulation. Spiritual insulation. One of the riskiest parts about being a follower of Jesus in this place is there will be people in need. There will be people who are hurting. There will be people who are suffering. And I will not even see them. Either because I'm too busy or two. I'm too far removed from their suffering. And it's important for us to know this. Those of us who inhabit suburban context, suburbia was designed to do this. It was designed to be this way. I'll give you a little bit of American history for those of you who don't know. In the early 1900s, what happened was there was a huge, so it's called rural urbanization. There was a huge migration of folks who lived in rural poor areas who moved into urban areas to get jobs, to better their way of life, to actually have access to the resources that would sort of provide for them and for their families. And what happened was all of the middle to upper class folks who inhabited those urban spaces didn't like that very much. Didn't like all of the neediness, didn't like all of the, the new issues that arose with their incoming sort of inhabitants, their incoming neighbors. And so what they did was they moved out of town. And they created the space all of us are inhabiting right here. The suburbs, right? And while geographically, this may not be the case anymore. There is still a very staunch divide. There are walls. There is a sort of like a bubble around these suburban places which we inhabit, some of which you can see and some of which you can't see. For example, economically, there's a bubble around places like this. Anyone want to take a guess what the average house costs in suburban Wake County right now? Half a million dollars. And so whether anyone meant it or not, whether anyone set out with that intention or not, the space that we inhabit has been strategically designed to keep the people inside who are self-sufficient, don't have a whole lot of needs, or ones that they're willing to make apparent and obvious to everybody, inside. And to keep those who have needs, who are suffering, who have issues, outside. Let's just be really real for a minute. That's part of why we moved here, isn't it? The problem is I don't know how to square that with my other decision, my other desire to follow somebody, to worship somebody who constantly calls me to care for the least of these. 
Maybe you can. I have no idea how to square those two things. And so, here's what you're going to have to do. Unless you're going to move, here's what you're going to have to do. And I don't want to move. I love my home. I love my community. I love this place that we inhabit. This has become home for us. I want to be here. But here's what you're going to have to do if you want to stay and be a faithful follower of Jesus. You're going to have to routinely, daily, regularly ask yourself the question, how do I make sure in this story I'm not the priest but the innkeeper? How do I make sure I don't become the priest but the innkeeper? Sorry to spoil it for you, but you're not the good Samaritan in this story. Jesus gets that role alone. It's not your job to save nobody. You can't save nobody. It's not your fault that they're in the predicament that they're in most of the time. But it is your responsibility to care for those that Jesus brings into your path. You want to be a follower of Jesus in this space, you're going to have to ask yourself this question, how, how do I avoid being the priest and instead seek to be the innkeeper? Now, I'm going to warn you, okay, I'm going to warn you, if ever you set out to start asking yourself that question, if ever you say, okay, you know what, yes, I've been a little bit of that, I've been a little bit too preoccupied, I've been a little too busy, I've been sort of like all sort of narrowly focused only on my life and what my family needs, and I really need to be caring about the needs of my neighbor. If ever you decide to do that, I'm going to just warn you that there are two voices that will start creeping into your psyche trying to stop you. The first of which is this. The first voice you will hear whenever you try to move from being the priest to the innkeeper is this voice that says, yeah, like that sounded good uh, during the sermon, Kyle, but like have you thought about the implications? Like if you, if you step out and you help some people, then you're going to have to help everybody and you're going to have to help every cause and you're going to have to be a champion for every single issue out in the world. Otherwise, you're going to be a hypocrite. Call this voice the saturation effect. Saturation effect. You see, if that voice can saturate you in all of the needs, all the overwhelming issues in this world, what will happen is you'll be confronted with those, and what will you do in response? Nothing. Nothing at all. The saturation effect is when we'd rather be guilty. If we're going to be guilty of something, I'd rather be guilty of being inactive than inconsistent. I'd rather be guilty and criticized for being inactive than inconsistent. My wife and I were talking about this the other day. We're the same way. We are the same way. This plays out in so many different spheres of our lives. This is absolutely because of this, this is my wife's relationship with drinking water. Everybody in this room knows how many cups of water you're supposed to drink every day to be healthy. Eight. My wife ain't ever going to drink eight cups of water a day. And so what she decides to do is drink no water. My, wa my wife has not drank a full glass of water since 1995. I swear to you. She's got seven 
count them. I counted them yesterday. Seven of those cute, like, little Stanley water cups that you can carry around with a straw. She's never finished one in her entire life. I finished one the other day. She got mad at me. She's like, what did you do with my water? I was like, I made good use of it. <laughs> we do this. You can think of several different instances in your own life where you'd rather, if you had to choose, I would do anything to avoid hypocrisy. But I guess what I want to do today is I want to sort of challenge that voice. I want to challenge that saturation effect that starts to try to creep in and stop you from doing good, helping others in need. You see, maybe, maybe, maybe it's okay to only care for, to invest in, a very specific, a very limited amount of needs in the world. And hear me out. I'm not justifying something. I've thought a long time about this. Maybe it's actually totally okay to invest in a specific, a limited, and exclusive amount of needs and issues in the world. And maybe that doesn't make you a hypocrite. Maybe it just makes you a human being. This is the question that I want you to start asking yourself when you find yourself getting plagued by that voice. Is this hypocrisy sort of bubbling up? Or is this just my humanity? Is it just that I'm a limited human being with only a certain number of hours in the day, a certain amount of energy to invest, and I have all of my own problems to work on every single day? Maybe it's okay to pick and choose the places that you're going to invest in. And friends, that is the entire reason why we're launching this neighborhood missionary program. It's because... Here at this church, my job, my job is not to solve all, every single one of the world's issues. Take a look at this list. This is the list of just a sampling of the causes that you'll see on that form that you can indicate, man, I want to get involved in that. I want to be a part of that. And this isn't even the total list. This is just all I could fit onto a screen and make it barely readable for you to actually make out what words are on said screen. It's not my job to fix every single one of these issues. My job, and I take this job incredibly seriously, my job is to help you figure out what has God put you on this earth to do? What needs has God strategically positioned you to meet? And then deploy you to go and serve. And then secondarily, I am to look at this list, and I am to trust that whatever needs we here at the Peak Church don't meet in the world, God at this very moment is raising up other churches, other Christians, other people, maybe even inside and outside the church, to meet those needs. This is God's mission we're participating in. What an our idea. And so, friends... Now, hear me. I'm not trying to manipulate or coerce you into signing up for this program. Maybe this is not a good season for you. You, don't, you can't step up to that commitment that we talked about earlier. That's fine. But what you can't do, what you and I are not allowed to do, 
is nothing. Because good Lord, speaking of hypocrisy, it's a, it takes a special kind of hypocrite to say, yeah, I just don't get involved in things because I actually care too much to help some and not others, and so I've chosen to do nothing. Like in middle school, I had a friend named Eric who didn't make the basketball team, and he came to us, and he was like, it's because I was too good, and the coach didn't want uh, me to create jealousy amongst them. I was like, nah, bro, it's because you can't make a layup. We were watching. So number one, the first voice that you're going to encounter, it's going to come in like a wave, is this, especially with social media and a 24-hour news cycle, you're going to be saturated all the time with all the needs of the world, and it'll stop you if you let it. The second effect, the second obstacle that you'll encounter if ever you try to shift, if you read this story and you say, yes, God, I don't want to be one of the priests, I don't want to be one of the Levites, the people in the story who just sort of walk right by the needs of this world, like I want to be an innkeeper, you want to be one of those, the other effect that you're going to have to overcome is this voice, the second voice. And this voice sounds like this. This voice says, Again, Kyle, like that sounded really, really good when Kyle, when, in the sermon when we were in church and we were all together and we were laughing together and having fun together. Like that was great. But now, like the need is there. And if I step out to meet it, like what? What if, what if I get hurt? What if I get taken advantage of? What if I risk danger? This effect is the safety effect. The safety effect. The little voice that says, you should not do anything that compromises safety, even compassion. And good Lord, if we know anything about suburbia, let's just be real for a minute. If we know anything about suburbia, is we hate danger. We hate anything that has any ounce of risk. If you don't believe me, Later today, I want you to get on your phone, and if you don't have this app, I want you to download the Nextdoor app. <laughs> Anybody not on this? You are missing out, I swear to you. We took Twitter, and we gave it to our most paranoid neighbors. And as a result, we get stories like this. Farting in my mailbox. There is someone, not who's doing this, but there's someone out there who believes this is happening to them. They straight up walk into the world. They are out among us, and they believe this is happening to them. Secondly, spy flowers. I don't know what my neighbor's up to over there, but they're growing the flowers, and first the Chinese with the balloon thing, and now the flowers. I don't know what's happening. No privacy. You'll also see this one. There's a hot dog bandit out there. We're in church, so I had to blur a lot of this out. Which one of you friendly neighbors? That's what's blanked out there. That's what's blanked out. That's what we can't see. Put a hot dog on my porch. Coming for you. We hate danger. We hate risky stuff. Real or imaginary? Real or imaginary? 
Now, this one is trickier. Because with the first one, I could explain it out for you. I could offer you a different interpretation. I could offer you a difference. I could say, you know what, maybe it's not hypocrisy, maybe it's your humanity. I can sort of help provide an alternative explanation for the voice that's speaking to you. But I can't do that with this one. Because that voice that says to you, what if you follow, you do something kind, you step out in service, and what if something dangerous happens? That voice isn't lying to you. You see, friends, following Jesus is risky. It is dangerous. Just ask the disciples. They had to leave their homes. They had to be willing to allow all of their beliefs to, about everything to be changed. They got criticized and scrutinized by religious leaders. They got in trouble with the law. There was a naked guy possessed by a demon who chased him around a graveyard. It's funny now. But back then, I'm sure that wasn't that funny. Nowhere. Go and search for yourself if you don't believe me. Nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus say, come and follow me. It'll be nice and safe. We'll have Bible studies at coffee shops. You won't ever have to be afraid, ever. It reminds me of the line from Chronicles of Narnia. Those of you who have read this, C.S. Lewis is the author of that book, and there's this depiction of Jesus and the character of Aslan, and one of the kids is, like, trying to trust Aslan, Jesus, and is like, you know, oh, like, is he safe? he's good. Is he safe? No, he's not. But he's good. And that goodness ain't just for you. It ain't just for pockets and contexts and little subdivisions like ours. This goodness was for the world. So, friends, this story of the Good Samaritan, good gracious, what it does is it asks a really complicated question. It complicates our understanding of safety from a kingdom perspective. These religious folks, these folks like you and me who walk up and they see this man in trouble, they see this man who's been beaten, battered, and he's left for dead, and what do they do? They hightail it out of there to get to their temple, to get to their place of safety. What this story does is it complicates that whole understanding of safety, and it says, it asks this question, is it possible, is it possible that some of the places that we run, we flee to, to find physical safety are spiritually the riskiest places to be. Is it possible that sometimes the places I run to to feel safe are precisely in the opposite direction of where my Jesus is going? Furthermore, do I have enough compassion and guts to change course 
to risk losing that feeling of safety. It attempts to be in the presence of the only one who can actually guarantee it. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.